This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. A new report commissioned by the Wilderness Committee and Sierra Club BC found that federal and provincial government policy gaps have rendered their protection of species at risk ineffective. Our study looked at terrestrial and freshwater vertebrate species in BC. We needed to refine the scope a little bit just because there are so many species at risk in BC. In order to do this analysis, we had to narrow in on a few species to be representative. So in total, we had 64 species. Of the 64 species, only two of them have had their critical habitat mapped by the deadlines. The remaining 97% have experienced critical habitat mapping delays anywhere from 2 to 18 years. And then there's 16 of the 64 species that still don't even have their critical habitat mapped. Explain Charlotte Daw of the Wilderness Committee. For example, the spotted owl, despite them requiring critical habitat maps over 18 years ago, they still don't have those maps. And because of this delay, logging has continued in their habitat unabated. There's now only one known spotted owl left in the wild. This is a very sad but obvious example of how delays in critical habitat mapping can drive extinction of a species. How quickly are they supposed to produce these maps? Once the recovery strategy comes out, the federal government has one year to produce the critical habitat maps for endangered species and two years to produce the critical habitat maps for threatened species. What we often find is that they don't take these deadlines seriously. They'll use any excuse to delay critical habitat mapping despite having years to do the research and despite having the research in many cases, as is the case with spotted owls. A spokesperson from BC's new Ministry of Land, Water and Resource Stewardship emailed Cortez Currents that they have not had time to study the report and it would be premature to respond to specific questions. He reaffirmed the government's intention to implement the Together for Wildlife strategy, as well as all 14 recommendations of the independent panel's Old Growth Strategic Review Report, including recommendation number two, quote, declare the conservation and management of ecosystem health and biodiversity of British Columbia's forests as an overarching priority and enact legislation that legally establishes this priority for all sectors, unquote. We were hoping to do a deep dive into basically all of the laws in BC that can help protect species at risk. So this also included the Federal Species at Risk Act and how it is working to protect or not protect species at risk in BC. But then also... We know that the provincial government relies on saying that we have a number of different laws that add up to offer protection to species at risk under their jurisdiction of what they manage. What we found is that these laws leave huge gaps that allow species at risk to continue to plummet to extinction. For example, the Forest Range and Practice Act is something that BC commonly says helps protect species at risk, but under that law, Companies aren't even required to survey for species at risk before they lay a cut block boundary. This often results in species at risk habitat where, say, an endangered species is living, being totally allowed and legal to be cut down. That's what we experienced with Fairy Creek. I interviewed Ms. Daw about this last year. A number of species at risk were cited during the Fairy Creek logging blockade. There were, for example, 240 sightings of marbled merlets, 
the Ministry of Forests confirmed that species at risk had been cited, hired a species expert to conduct surveys, but did not stop the logging. In your press release, you mentioned four key findings of this report. Do you want to say a little bit more about them? The first one is that the federal government is failing species at risk by delaying critical habitat gathering and mapping. Critical habitat mapping is one of, if not the most important step in species recovery, because if we don't know where they're living, how can we protect them? What we're finding is that the federal government consistently delays mapping, claiming that there's not enough available information. Sometimes they've delayed maps for 18 years and counting. That's the case for the spotted owl right now. On average, the government is 9.8 years behind schedule for publishing recovery strategies and critical habitat maps. That's very shocking. One of the leading reasons why species are plummeting to extinction because they sit in this limbo while government is making critical habitat maps. The next one is during the critical habitat mapping process, governments rely on underlining assumptions and incomplete consideration of available data to reduce accuracy of the maps. We dive into this fully into the report and give some really good examples of this. There has been situations where known den sites of endangered snakes have been reported to government and government decides not to include that habitat in the critical habitat maps, but then has added critical habitat for this same snake species based on an observation of one person who claimed to have seen a snake. So it seems like the accuracy of the information that government chooses to use to create maps are not always taken into account. Stakeholders, specifically industry like logging companies and oil and gas, are able to lobby for more information during that critical habitat mapping phase so that protection measures would be delayed and therefore they would be able to have access to that habitat area that would normally be off limits. The third one is that the BC government lacks the legislative framework to address the threats facing species at risk on provincial land. The IUCN, the International Union of the Conservation of Nature, has listed 11 different threats that drive species decline. We got biologist Jared Hobbs to measure if all of the province's laws effectively protect species at risk against those threats. And what we found in majority of the cases is that the threats are not being mitigated or even addressed at all under our current legislative framework. So, of course, this also allows species to be driven to extinction. The last finding is that the BC park system falls short of protecting biodiversity because the highest biodiverse zones with the most species are proportionally underrepresented in the park system. Those are the main findings. I think some interesting stats about the park protection stat, the top half of the zones that have the most biodiversity in BC are collectively home to 73% of the species, yet they only contribute to 30% of the total area that's protected by parks in BC. So we really do not prioritize biodiversity when the government creates park boundaries and park maps. Another really hard-hitting stat that we had is that critical habitat maps were delayed for 97% of the species we studied. This ranged anywhere from 2 to 18 years. 
These are just a couple of the findings of the study, but the report really drives the point home that our provincial and federal laws are just not enough to protect biodiversity and halt extinction in BC. What does BEC mean? A BEC zone? A BEC zone stands for biogeoclimatic zone. Zones are categorized based on basically similar patterns of energy flow, vegetation, soils, and macroclimate is split into 16 different zones. So for example, one would be the coastal western hemlock. Another would be the ponderosa pine forest. We have 16 different zones in BC. And then within each zone, we took a measure of how many species live in those zones. And then within that zone, how much is protected by parks. I'm looking for some of the species that are in our area. I noticed that coastal western hemlock and coastal Douglas fir are on the BEC zone chart. In the case of coastal Douglas fir, we're talking about 4% of the area being protected. With the hemlock, it's 19.3. These are the two zones that have the highest species richness, which is the highest number of species. And coastal Douglas fir has the lowest uh, amount proportionally protected by parks. Coastal Western Hemlock is doing a little bit better with a higher amount of protection, drastically behind five other zones with significantly less species. The government has claimed before that our park system helps protect biodiversity. This kind of shows that it doesn't because we don't prioritize the protection of high biodiverse zones. Instead, we tend to prioritize the protection of places that humans are less likely to develop on, things like high alpine mountainscapes that are also home to less species, but easier to protect. I see great blue heron, special concern since 2010, but mapping is not required. Yeah, for special concern species, they're not even required to have a recovery strategy produced, which also means they're not required to have the critical habitat mapped. It's a reactive measure in a law because it basically says if you're a special concern species, we're just going to monitor you. Once you become threatened, then we'll start to do something to try to bring you back. Where if we took more action to protect special concern species, we'd have a higher likelihood of getting them out of the emergency room. We'd be more effective at doing that. And it would also cost us less, take us less time, uh, take a less amount of resources and all that stuff. Here are three more species we've been talking about on Cortez Island. The barn swallow, marbled merlet, and we've been trying to find western screech owls. Some of the species that have experienced delayed critical habitat mapping and therefore delayed protection would include the barn swallow, marbled murrelet, and western screech owl. Those are just three of the 62 species that we studied that haven't had their critical habitat maps on time. What are you hoping to do with this study? This study, I hope, will be used to combat the narrative that the provincial laws in BC are working to protect species at risk. It is really a one-stop shop that explains as in-depth as you can get how our laws are not enough to save species at risk and how without an overarching law that takes into account cumulative effects, takes into account multiple project proposals over the same habitat to ensure that species needs are consistently being met, 
we're going to continue to lead the biodiversity crisis and we're going to continue to see species vanish from the landscape. So this report, I think, can definitely pressure the government to enact a law that protects species at risk. This is something that I think we're actually pretty close to achieving. The new lands ministry is in conversations right now with different indigenous communities about how they can make this law. So we're actually in the final push of this. And I think this report is going to be key in the evidence that it is actually a law we need and we can't rely on amendments to existing laws, which is one of the proposals. I think it can be used to pressure the government to finally commit to enacting a law to protect species at risk. A majority of other provinces and territories in Canada have a loan law to protect species at risk. And the fact that BC doesn't yet boasts about how we're supernatural BC. And when you think about BC, you'd think old growth forests and all of these different species at risk. We take that all for granted because we don't have a single law to protect those species. Is there anything you wanted to add? Nations from around the world are headed to Montreal this December for the UN Biodiversity Conference. This is the final conference where governments will basically decide whether or not they're going to ratify the biodiversity agreement. Now, one of the goals in the agreement and which the federal government is really pushing different nations to sign off on is to halt biodiversity loss and achieve a full recovery by 2030. For the federal government to have this as a goal and encourage other nations to commit to this goal without taking a look in the mirror and seeing how their laws are failing species at risk and how the provincial and territorial laws within the country are just completely lacking to protect species at risk shows that this COP might just be another one where governments just make showy speeches and don't actually follow through on promises. So we really want to use this report to highlight that if we're serious about reaching the goals of COP, we need BC to enact a species at risk law because we are key to Canada achieving its biodiversity targets because we're home to majority of the species in Canada and also have the most that are at risk of extinction. The federal government has called on the provinces and territories to commit to these goals. So what we need to see is the BC government and the federal government looking at this report and seeing the areas they need to pick up action on and take action on. The last thing I would like to say is that if you live in the province of British Columbia and are devastated about the loss of wildlife and feel like you want to take action, please join us. We're creating a large movement to protect species at risk in BC. And one of the first of its kinds that really holds government accountable and pressures government for good, strong laws. We've already seen this movement have payoff as the new ministry is now Um, somewhat committed to this law, and we just need to make sure that they fulfill it and actually complete this. If you want to help but don't know how, please join us. You can find more information on the Wilderness Committee website, and you can join our actions to protect biodiversity there. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.